0: Leah Everson is on staff here at Scum of the Earth. She and Evan Perkins have been teaching the theology classes. So you have taken one of those over the past year or so, then you've had her as uh, a teacher in class. Leah's a uh, graduate of Denver Seminary, uh, did very well there, and uh, she came on staff uh, early this year. She and Evan are going to be in charge of the Future Scum Study Center, which I've spoken about on occasion. Uh, hopefully a uh, place where people can come from all over the country to study and learn more about uh, Christianity, about Jesus, and do some uh, some work in the urban setting. Uh, so hopefully that'll be a reality in a year or two. But in the meantime, um, I thought it'd be great if we heard from Leah today, and so I asked her to preach. If you weren't here back in July, the last time... She gave a message, then uh, you're in for a treat. I'd like to welcome Leah Everson.
1: That's so nice. No, really, I'm not just saying that. Yeah, last time I preached in July, it was the 4th of July, and there was no one here. I mean, if you were here, don't take that offensively, but um, back in our building, Like half of the sanctuary had people in it. Like way less than usual. So it was very strange. So thank you again for introducing me. That helps. Um, How many of you feel like you have expectations from all sides of you at any given moment? Lots of us, everybody, I would say, probably. um, We feel pulled and responsible for things at home. We feel responsible for things with our roommates, our friends. We have responsibilities before God. We have responsibilities with teachers. We have responsibilities with our boss. I could go on. And it can get really, really overwhelming. Yes? Yes. I'm hoping tonight I can ease that a little bit. And that Jesus' words in Mark 12 will ease that as well. Um, tonight's passage is from Mark 12, and we've been going through Mark here at SCUM. I want to remind you where we've been in case you weren't here the last couple weeks or just catch up. Two weeks ago, Joshua Dillon spoke, and he talked about how um, the Pharisees and the Herodians came to Jesus, and they were challenging him. And they asked him, Do we pay taxes to Caesar? And Joshua talked about how Jesus stumped them by saying that the most important thing is to give to God what's God's and to Caesar what's Caesar's, and we give our allegiance to God. And they were silenced. And then the Sadducees came up. And Mike told us last week how the Sadducees were trying to stump Jesus as well with questions about heaven. And they didn't really believe in heaven, so their question was off base in the first place. And Jesus was able to silence them as well. Now, in Mark 12, verse 28, we have someone else coming and asking Jesus a question. Let's read together. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? This might seem like a strange question to us, but there are over 600 commands from what I've read in the Old Testament. And the teachers of the law and the leaders in in, um, the Jewish community would debate over which commandment was most important if we're gonna follow one commandment, which one do we pick? Because there are so many if we're gonna keep track of all of them every day We just can't do it. It's overwhelming So he's inviting Jesus into this conversation and Jesus answers him the most important one is this And he quotes from Deuteronomy Hear, O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, if we remember the context of this question, people are coming and trying to shut Jesus up. It may seem as though this man is answering Jesus and saying, yes, and I'm going to add to your teaching. And it may seem as though he's contradicting Jesus in a way, but really he's repeating what Jesus said. He's affirming what he said in a way that might be hard for us to understand when we don't live in a culture with burnt offerings and sacrifices. We might think that burnt offerings and sacrifices, I think I've heard a lot, at least, spoken in Christian circles that, um, oh, these things are in the past, or people were worshiping them, and that might be true. But God commanded to give burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's a way to worship, and it's a way to draw near. So when he's saying that to love God to love others is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices? This is a pretty big statement. But he didn't get it from himself. It's actually found throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus saw that he answered him wisely. And he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, keep going. Keep asking. You're close. You're getting there. And if you keep looking, you're going to find where to find the true kingdom, and that's in Christ. So this is not... I want to say this is not um, an argument between the two opposing sides. Rather, these are teachers who are who are conversing over the scriptures. And what Jesus said after Jesus and this man had this conversation, no one dared to ask him any more questions. No one came up to try to trap him in his words again. So, what is it that Jesus said that was so profound? That it silenced these people who are trying to trap him and who would eventually crucify him three or four days later Let's look into that a little deeper uh, The first thing that jesus said um Hear, O israel the lord our god the lord is one this is from deuteronomy 6 uh, Verse 4 and the second verse that follows that and we'll get into that a little bit is verse 5 um I love that he starts by quoting this verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He does not start by just saying, this is the commandment I want you to follow. He says, this is the God that you are worshiping. This is the God who gave this commandment. And in Deuteronomy 5, the chapter previous that he quoted from, um, Moses recorded the Ten Commandments. And at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. There's a foundation that this is the God we are worshiping. This is the God who has redeemed Israel, pulled them out of slavery. This is the same God who sent his son to die for us. And we need to remember that when we love God, which is what we're going to talk about, we are not just loving a God in the sky who does not care about our situation or care about what's going on here. He's not some puppeteer pulling strings and just kind of seeing what's going to happen he cares about us, and he's seeking us. John, 1 John 4 says, this is, not, this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the God we are to focus on. I need a volunteer. Yes, Paul! Or, Cassie, you were a second too late. I want you to balance this on your hand, but look at your hand first. Look at your hand. Okay. All right, that's good. Now I'll look up. Difference? Whoa! <laughs> Oh, that worked so good. (laughs) When we focus in the right place, things fall into place a little easier, right? When he was looking up at the top of this thing, pole, um, he was able to balance it and toss it from one hand to the other. If our focus is in the right place, things kind of fall into place. I think the same is true when we're living for God. If we focus on all the rules that we have and try to to accomplish it by ourselves, we're going to fail. It's called a sin nature. We, We sin. But if we're focusing on God, he will give us the ability to live the way that he wants us to. Jesus said, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing he enables us and equips us to follow and to live a life that he desires us to live and when we do our commands when we when we follow the commands when we do live the way he wants us to live this is loving god jesus also said if you keep my commands you remain in my love just as I have kept my command, father's commands and remained in his love. You are my friends if you do what I command. So when we do his commands, because we're staying with our eyes focused on God, we honor him. And really, when we honor him and we love him and we focus on him, we start to care about the things he cares about. And that's everybody else. Like, that's, that's when we start loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's when we, when we um, follow the second commandment that Jesus said. It's not from our own willpower. I'm going to love this person. It's because we are connected to the love that God has for us, and he is loving through us the other people around us. Does that make sense? Um, there are several verses in the New Testament that say that when we are loving our neighbor as ourselves, this is fulfilling the law. Actually, in the Matthew account of the same passage, Jesus said if we love our neighbor and love God, we are fulfilling the laws and the prophets. Did I quote that right? Thanks, Craig. John writes in 1 John 4 again, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Some pretty strong statements. And when I I imagine what we could be like as a community of loving each other, I think it would be contagious, and people would catch on and see, and they'd say, look at that. Actually... Tertullian, he was the guy who wrote in the second century, he was a Christian. And in the first five centuries of Christianity, there were a lot of plagues that spread throughout Europe. I don't know if you've heard of these at all, but I don't think I could name them for you. But people would leave the cities. Everybody would leave the cities because they didn't want to get sick, and that's where everyone was getting sick and dying. But Christians would rush in. They moved in, and they would take care of the sick, risking their own lives, really. And Tertullian wrote, it is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. So anybody has something to say against Christianity? If we're loving each other, all their accusations fall flat. Only look, look how they love each other. What can we say bad against them? They're loving each other. No one else does that. And this is the fruit that God, uh, Jesus talks about when he says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And this fruit is love and joy and peace and, and you know, abundant life that we desire and long for. We were created to live life to the fullest. To live a life that um, I don't think we can even really imagine but we can see it in the life of Jesus because he was the true human. You know, he, when he taught, people listened. He taught something that they were longing for, and he healed people. He brought life into sick bones and um, rose children from the dead, and um, he did amazing things. And he was secure and confident in himself no matter what other people were thinking. He was whole. I believe God desires to restore us to this wholeness that He created us to live for. When we live like this, there is clarity. We don't have sin in our lives. If we stay focused on God, not saying that we're not going to fall. Mm, don't hear me say that. But if we stay focused on God, things will fall into place. Kind of like if you're trying to balance something on your hand and you stay focused. Jesus said we're supposed to love the Lord with all our heart, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strength. And we could compartmentalize these things and say, okay, this is when I'm going to love God with my mind. Over here, I'm loving God with my heart. I don't think that's the point. I think Jesus is saying, I want you to love me with your whole self. Everything. All the time, everywhere, every situation. Our entire lives are to be loving towards God. Um, Last night I was, we were at the wedding and Todd Blackstone, I was talking to him about these verses and he said these were the most freeing that he's ever read in his life because he was told that he could do anything he wanted, right? Am I saying this right? Anything he wanted (laughs) um, for a career and it would be pleasing to God. This is actually something I've struggled with, this idea, this concept, because um, when I was like 19, I felt like God was calling me into full-time ministry. And so everything I did was kind of working towards that. I went to seminary, and, and studying that all felt like, yes, this is working towards the goal of ministry. And I held ministry up on this pedestal, like this is what it means to live for God. But to get by, to pay the rent, I was a janitor on campus, and I hated it because I don't know how bathrooms get that gross. Um, and I don't understand why people pick at their papers and leave spiral-bound little pieces all over the floor that a vacuum can't get up, or, or the, the eraser dust on the desks that has to be from a Greek or Hebrew class. Sorry, the languages are tough. It's not fun. I didn't like it. And I was just like, God, what on earth? What is this for? Are you here? I mean, that was obviously one of the most difficult questions for me was, do you care? Are you here with me while I clean? Because I, am, I don't feel it. And then I graduated from seminary. I finished my homework, and within, like, 12 hours, I gave birth to my son, Jack, and I didn't have a job, and I was at home, and my life consisted of feedings and diaper changes and, um, I don't know, more janitorial work. And I, again, it was the same question over and over again. What is going on? I thought I was gonna do something else. And now I'm on staff at Scum, and that helps a little bit. But I'm doing it part time and so I'm still the one who's cleaning and cooking and taking care of everything at home. And these are things that are not they do not come natural to me. I was talking to a friend of mine who she's also um a stay at home mom slash part time children's pastor at a church and she's just like, I don't understand it when women are they're just like, Oh, I just fall on my knees worshiping when I'm when I'm cleaning and we're just kinda like, What? It just <laughs> I'm on my knees but that's not why and (laughs) it just didn't connect but then I started reading about about work and I realized that first of all God created work in the garden he commanded them to take care of it and then there was the fall and the ground was cursed and work became more difficult But more than that, I I realized that the work of my hands can be worshipful. The work of my hands, actually, even if I don't feel like it's worshipful, this is something that God accepts. Like, I can do it and say, God, I'm doing this for you. I don't feel it but I know you accept it. And there's this sense of, of contentment there that I've received from him. Um, at the same time, I don't feel the, the necessity to make sure my house is perfect all the time. Like, I don't read real simple magazine anymore, girls. It's, it makes me depressed because it's so perfect. And I look at it, and I look at my house, and I go, <laughs> But it's Okay. Because there's freedom when we're loving God. When loving God is first, it's okay that everything isn't exactly the way it's, quote unquote, supposed to be. Or like what you should make your house look like. You shouldn't should on yourself, one person said to me once. I have freedom to let my house go when there's other things in my life that are taking the priority. And it's worshipful to God. Um, there's another man who lived in the 1920s who I think lived a life that was worshipful to God. He loved God in everything that he did. Uh, His name was Eric Little. How many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Pretty good. If you haven't, you got to see it. It's got great synthesizer music at the beginning. Um, Anyway. (laughs) Eric is from Scotland. He was the fastest man in Scotland, could run the 100 meter dash like nobody else. And he also was from China. He was from a missionary family in China. And um, his sister really, really wanted to go back to China and she thought that he should go back to China too. But first of all, he had been recruited for the Olympics. and He was gonna run the Olympics in 1924 in Paris on behalf of Scotland. And Jenny, his sister, resented that. He said to her one day after, well, in the movie, at least I don't know if this is what he actually said but in the movie, he said, to Jenny, "I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China, but He also made me fast, and when I run, I feel His pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt." You're right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. So he lived his life, and he had this part of his life that some people would say is just secular. It's just running. It's just, you know, it's outside of the church. And his sister said that to him, and he said, No, this is worshipful to God. And then the schedule came out for the Olympics, and and in the movie they make this really dramatic. But in reality... Um, The schedule came out months before the Olympics um, were going to be held, and the 100 meters was going to be held on a Sunday. And he kept the Sabbath holy. He did not work on the Sabbath um, doing other things other than to glorify God, directly related to, you know, church and worship and things like that. So this was a big struggle for him, they portray it really well in the movie, but He decided he was not going to run on Sunday. He was not going to run the 100-meter dash. Instead, he did the 400. And if you know anything about running, there's a very big difference between sprinting 100 meters and 400 meters. I could not do it myself. I'm a long-distance person. But he decided to train and, and train for the 400. And he won. In the face of all of his adversaries who said he was being stupid for holding up God's commands so high he won he lived a life that was honoring to him and more than that he loved people well he he went off to China and did ministry work there and then he was arrested and was sent to a Chinese labor camp or or prisoner camp and when he was there he got sick and he died and the community mourned him because they were fed by him they were they were loved by him they were cared for by him he loved god first and that was well displayed in the movie chariots of fire but after that you in his life he he loved other people more than anything and there's freedom in that when we live a life that is glorifying to god and And we live in a life and we're living the way we were created to be, there is freedom. Now, I know I've already said, or I hope I hope I've said, that we shouldn't be compartmentalizing our lives, like there's you know when Jesus says to love with your heart and mind and soul, these are all part of who we are, and we're we're loving him with our whole selves. But it's really hard to apply that to life. be really overwhelming to look at your whole life and say I gotta do this with my whole life and yeah that is the goal but where is one area in your life that you could maybe focus on God a little bit more in and bring his presence into your situation by focusing on him and by loving other people I mentioned my work how that was a struggle for me and um, working at home and staying at home Sometimes it's hard when you're working for a boss that you really don't like or um, have coworkers who are difficult to get along with. Um, Tim and I were talking, my husband Tim, sitting right there, we were talking on Wednesday night about this, and um, we were actually talking about our free time. Coming home, like it's like maybe you do a great job at work, and, and you do everything to the best that you can, and you focus hard, and you work hard, and you come home, and now it's me time, right? Um, we think this is my time. I can waste my time here if I want to, and and we might we we might turn on the computer and open up Facebook and sit and scroll and get that cyber stare. Or, or we flip through channels, and and none of this is necessarily bad, but it might not be the best. Um, is it really restoring you if you're tired? Is it really restoring to sit and zone? Sometimes, maybe, but there's a spiritual discipline called self-care, and I was surprised when I heard this is a spiritual discipline in a way that you can worship God. But um, it is, because it honors God. This is what a book uh, called Spiritual Discipline's Handbook says. Self-care honors God through nurturing and protecting the body, mind, and spirit with their limits and desires. When we practice self-care, we intentionally receive ourselves as God's beloved. Receiving this love into our bodies births the ability to give love and forgiveness to ourselves and others. So when we practice self-care, it is not just for us. But it is, again, loving God first, receiving this love that we receive from the the one that Jesus talked about at the very beginning of this commandment, the one who, who restores us and, and redeems us and who died for us. We receive that love from him through activities in our lives. So what is it that maybe is really good at restoring yourself? Like, do you love to craft? Girls go to that knitting group, maybe. Um, do you enjoy playing sports or exercising? Do you make music? Do you do art? What is it that restores you? Can you do that in a way that is focusing on God and choose to do that with your time instead of perhaps wasting it? How about finances? If we're looking at God first with our finances, it's going to change the way we spend our money. It's going to change the way we cling to it, perhaps. I was looking um, online this week, kind of like, what do people say is the most important thing? And there was this one website, um, and I guess it was really devoted towards money, but everything that this guy said, it was a top ten list of the most important things in life. And it was like, you know, don't get divorced because it's going to ruin your finances. And that's true. And it was like, invest in your relationship because it'll help your finances. And I was like, what? it 's true, I mean it 's true, but is that the motivating factor really to to make it great and to hit, to hit it rich? Did I say that right? Um. Okay, how about relationships with other people, um, your loved ones? Are you really loving them first um, i didn 't define this earlier, I was going to, but I can do it now. And a lot of places that I read, when I was like, what does it mean to love other people? It was saying that when we love others, we are loving them in a way and, and, and encouraging them to grow into who it is that God has created them to be. We desire this for ourselves. We desire to be whole and holy. Do we desire this for other people? Is that our motivating factor when we get together with other people, when we're with our spouses or our boyfriends and girlfriends? Are we honoring them in trying to encourage them to follow after God. Whatever your life may look like. Whatever ways you may have um, not necessarily loved God first. We can always turn to him. We love the God who initiated relationship with us. He came To earth for us he died on the cross for us we can go to him at any time if you would like some prayer tonight to um, consider and um, maybe get some insight from the Lord into how you can do this better in your life loving him first we're gonna have it offered in this room over here right after I'm done Um, but I pray that for you tonight You would focus your eyes on the Lord that he would be your soul aspiration that he would be the one that you honor with your bodies and your minds and your souls and that you would know that he loves you first because when we keep our eyes on him everything else falls into place amen